Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Thursday's chat on the Halftime app with Derek Bodner of The Daily Six, a Philadelphia 76ers-focused newsletter. So obviously we talked a lot about the Sixers, their place in the Eastern Conference and the NBA hierarchy, how they've gotten to where they are so far this year, what we've seen from Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and then a whole lot, obviously, and unfortunately about the Ben Simmons situation. Enjoy. Derek, thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, my, my, my pleasure. <clears throat> um, for those coming on now, Derek has the new Sixers focused newsletter, The Daily Six, was formerly at The Athletic for how long? Like four or five years now? Uh, yeah, like four and a half years. Yep. Yeah. Um, covering the Sixers. And like, if you're interested in a team being covered in extreme depth, with like salary cap and draft picks and injuries and all sorts of articles basically every day, I highly recommend it, you know? So I appreciate you doing this. And uh, the Sixers are a team that everybody's been talking about pretty much all season because the Ben Simmons situation has obviously hung over basically the entire season. But I don't want to start with that because everybody's <laughs> been talking about it. Everybody's been talking about it all year. So I want to talk about like how the Sixers have gotten to where they are in the season right now. They're 23 and 17, fifth in the East, 10th in the NBA, 14th in offense, 14th in defense, 12th in net rating, 13th in SRS at basketball reference. Um, how do you think they have gotten to this point and what have you felt about their season to date? Yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten to this point largely because they have Joel Embiid. Uh, <laughs> and he, when you have Joel Embiid and you play a pretty middling schedule, uh, you certainly have a uh, you know have a have a chance to win a lot of games. Um, you know I think they are a you know Joel Embiid by himself when he plays, uh, and history has has borne this out pretty well. When he plays, you're going to win about 55 um, to 60 percent of your games. Uh, he is just that good. He's good enough to beat uh, pretty much every bad team they run across. They just don't have much around him. And I think one of the things that the loss of Ben Simmons has really hurt. They don't have any kind of defensive identity. Um, they really struggle to defend quick teams, big teams. They're terrible on the glass. They just don't have very many ways to win outside of Joel Embiid being great and their perimeter shooters making shots. So when that's working and you're playing against a team, you know, they just had a seven-game winning streak. A lot of those teams are some of the worst teams in the league. A lot of those teams are some of the worst teams in the league who also don't have a lot of their players in the lineup. But when you have that going and Joel Embiid is as consistent as he is, they're going to mop up a lot of those bad teams. But when they go up against some of the better teams in the league, they just don't have enough ways to win, enough talent, enough uh, secondary scores, enough you know defensive bite. Um, they just don't have enough ways to win to consistently beat the best teams. So you kind of have this middling team that is has an MVP caliber player and not much around him. And like I said, that will get them to win probably close to 50 games, 45, 50 games at the very least. But everybody knows that they need to make a move if they really want to be taken seriously. It's been a really strange year in that regard. Oh, it definitely has been a strange year. And like, just as a little bit of context, they are, I think, 20 and nine when he plays and three and eight when he doesn't. That's like yeah. going from 
you know, a 55 win team to like a 23 win team. That's pretty outrageous. And obviously like we've seen in previous years, his impact on both sides of the ball. And, you know, he missed the stretch earlier in the season uh, with COVID. He's played through like various injuries throughout the entire year and was coming off basically his best stretch of the season, the, the seven game winning streak where he had scored over 30 in every game. And then last night I thought he was like, really not good in the first half and he still had like 15 points on eight shots at the, at halftime or something like that. He played better in the second half, but he just kept turning the ball over. Um, and I think that points to one of their issues too, is just the point guard play this season and Simmons not being there is a, uh, it's a problem, you know, like the, the other night when, when Curry was out and Maxi was still in health and safety protocols and Milton was out, it was like they were starting Isaiah Joe and Korkmaz at point guard, like the guard depth and the point guard play outside of Maxi is a really big problem. And, you know, that'll happen when your actual starting point guard sits out the whole year. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, even, even Maxi, like he's, his instincts are a lot more scoring related. And I think mm-hmm. Doc, especially earlier in the season, tried to get Maxi to think a little more about getting Joel Embiid involved, getting Tobias Harris involved, getting Seth Curry involved. And I think Maxi lost a little bit of himself in that regard, too. I think he needs to look for a shot a little bit more. But you don't really have a natural point guard on the roster right now. You've been, I mean, like you said, you had, at one point they had obviously Ben Simmons out, but then they had um, Shake Milton out. You know, they had Tyrese Maxey out. They even had Seth Curry out. And you're like legitimately starting Furkan Korkmaz as your point guard. Uh, so they have certainly had a lot to work with. Uh, they've run more of their offense through Embiid probably than ever. And for the most part, and, and you're right, against Charlotte, I thought it was one of his weaker games. Um, but for the most part, he has, I think, embraced the facilitator role a lot more than he has in years past. I think he's had a lot of success in doing that. Um, but it's tough to have your post-up center run almost all of your offense through him. They really yeah. just do not have a plus passer outside of him in the entire roster right now, outside of Ben Simmons, who's obviously not playing. And that definitely does show on a night night. Yeah, I mean, especially with how often they're willing to double-team it. Basically, like, except when Seth Curry is one pass away they'll send a double from the nearest defender just to get the ball out of his hands. And then all of a sudden you're not even really running the offense through him, you know? So it's, it's really tough. And I think he's done well with it. Like you said, he's at a career high in assists per game. I think he's at a career high in assist rate as well. Uh, yeah. Career high 23.7% assist rate. That's like really high for a center. It's impressive that he's been able to sort of, handle that increased playmaking burden considering how much he already does on both ends of the floor like his usage hasn't dropped off at all in terms of like his usage for himself 35 percent from 35.3 percent last year and he's still remarkably efficient still parades himself to the free throw line is still one of the best interior defenders in the league it's just they're asking so much of him right now because Simmons isn't on the court Tobias Harris is not playing at his best and the guys that they have surrounding him other than that are relatively limited for the role that you're asking them to play. I think it helps that Seth Curry has sort of expanded his game a little bit this year in terms of being both more aggressive as a shooter and then handling the ball a little bit more often. But there's been fits and starts, like you said, like Maxi early in the season, Seth is still getting used to that new role. I don't really know what was up with Tobias for like three weeks where he literally couldn't hit a shot. Um, apparently he's got some sort of shoulder issue, but 
it's 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 tough sledding, and I'm kind of impressed that they're 23 and 17, honestly, because when I watch them, I never feel like I'm watching the team that I'm supposed to be watching. Yeah, yeah, no, you you, you and me both, and you know they start off the season eight and two, and from the perimeter they couldn't miss a shot during that stretch. And you said, all right, that that's clearly not going. I think they're a top offense in the league there for the first ten games. Mm-hmm. That's not going to sustain itself. And then they had that seven game winning streak, which really was. I mean, that was just a, a cakewalk schedule. But Joel Embiid, I mean, he's. I think he scored exactly thirty one points in all six games so far in twenty twenty two. He has scored thirty or more in something like nine or ten straight games. So he's really lifted them beyond that. But you've got you know fifteen or twenty three games there in those two stretches. Uh, there was a real middle portion of the season there where they struggled. Uh, some of that aligned with Joel Embiid being out of the lineup, and this is not a team right now that is equipped to have him out of the lineup. But they are, a, you know, it is, I, I hate to be a downer because they're 23 and 16, but like this is a team that I don't expect to, or 23 and 17, I guess now, um, that I, I still look at and I say, well, when that, that tough schedule gets here, I, I expect all of their warts to come out. Um, but, I mean, they're holding it together. And right now, this stretch of the schedule, it's really not about, can you show me that you're a playoff you know, a championship contender, an Eastern Conference contender, because I think we all know that they're not. It's can you get to the trade deadline and not be desperate uh, and force more to make a move beforehand? And I, th- I think they've done enough to do that. Uh, you know, I think that seven-game winning streak gave them a real cushion to where Daryl could say, all right, look, we can see this through to the trade deadline and not jeopardize the season at all. That gives me just enough, um, you know, of a position of strength to get to that trade deadline. And that's that's really the goal right now. Keep Joel healthy, develop Tyrese Maxey, and get to the trade deadline where you're not um, hampering yourself by waiting that long. Yeah, they have a, a home-heavy schedule between now and the deadline, which I think helps. They're like very famously were like really good at home and not very good on the road. When was it? Two years ago, if I'm yeah, remembering. Yeah, the, uh, the last Brett Brown year. Correctly, yeah. This year they've actually been better on the road than at home, which is pretty fascinating, considering how it usually goes. But did they play a bunch of home games when Joel was out? It, maybe that plays a part of it because when he misses like nine games or no, no he missed the West Coast the road, road trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, but they did lose all three home games when he was out. So there you go. Anyway, um, that schedule though, I think it's kind of, it's, it's not necessarily that hard, but it's not easy either between now and the deadline. Like they got Boston at Miami at Washington, uh, Orlando Clippers at San Antonio, then a five-game homestand where they play the Pelicans, Lakers, Kings, Grizzlies, and Wizards at Dallas, at Chicago, and then home for the Suns. There's some, you know, a couple easy games in there, some really tough games in there, and then some teams against other teams that are sort of, you know, in the middle of the pack like they are. Like they play Boston and the Lakers and the Wizards and Mavericks. Like you got to stack some wins in there, and it is kind of tough. You know, especially when the rest of their guys, other than Joel, and I think Seth has been fairly consistent. There are some games where his, his shot just doesn't go in, but I do think they need some more consistency from guys three to nine. If that, like, if that makes yeah. sense, like they're they're also rotating those two other perimeter spots fairly often. I, some of that is because Maxi's been out, but you know, Danny Green has started, Thibault has started, Korkmaz has started. I think Milton started a couple of games. They started Isaiah Joe the other night. It's sort of a rotating crew in that second wing spot. Yeah, and I mean, a big part of that is they just don't have enough, like all of their players three through nine, they're just not reliable every day. Like you can't count on them on a day-to-day basis. So not only do you have players out for injuries, uh, not only do you have players out for COVID reasons, but there are just some times where, I mean, 
Furkan Korkmaz went, I think, something like 20 games where he was shooting like 31% from the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just not talented enough. And they have some decent depth. It's just none of the depth is really reliable, especially on the wings. Uh, the so, big, yeah, they definitely... Go ahead. Go ahead. Nope, go ahead. Uh, the big thing for me is that like none of them are creators for others off the dribble. Like no. That's the thing they really don't have. You know, Seth has done a little bit of a better job of that this year. Like Maxi, like you said early in the season, they tried to push him into doing a little bit more of that, but he's more naturally a scorer. If Danny Green dribbles, you're like closing your eyes the whole time. <laughs> like Dybul, you don't Dybul, you don't really want to be dribbling. Korkmaz, I wouldn't necessarily advise dribbles more than like one time to take a sidestep. And it's like it's it's really tough to have a functional offense when you don't have that player who can pierce the defense from the outside in, bend the defense, and kickstart that ball movement. It's the defense bends in a much different way for a post-up than it does for a driving kick. And, you know, Maxi can get into the paint, but it's not the same kind of getting into the paint as, like, Trey Young, Chris Paul, even Steph. Like, and obviously it's really difficult to get one of those guys. But, you know, for me, that's a big part of the reason why they're holding out for, like, an elite creator type in a Simmons trade because that's really the thing that they need. But... That's uh, there aren't that many of those guys, and most of them don't seem to be on the market at the moment. No, 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 no there aren't. And I mean, that was something that the Sixers really desperately needed last year uh, for really the entirety of Joel Embiid's career. Uh, they briefly had a little bit of that, um, or a facsimile of that at least with, uh, you know, with Jimmy Butler. But that was a half a season, and and he was playing off ball for a lot of that because they had Ben Simmons, and he had to sort of manage. That pairing. Um, so yeah, this is not a, a team that has ever really had anything approaching a high-level shot creator from the perimeter. Uh, they've tried to masquerade a couple of people in there. It's never really worked. And Simmons has always obviously had those half-court limitations. So that is something, that is an element of the game uh, that has become a very big part of the sport uh, that they have just been lacking for the entirety of Joel Embiid's career. Uh, and this is, I do agree with you, this is why I think Daryl Morey is being very particular. Um, I don't think he's looking at this like he has to get somebody in here so they can um, you know, contend for for this year and not waste a year of Joel's prime because I think he probably realizes that if they don't get a really good return on this trade, they're not contending anyway. Um, so there's no reason to rush it. But it is, yeah, painful to watch at times. Um, they do go, go through those stretches where you run into five or six teams in a row that just have no shot of defending Joel Embiid and the offense will look great. Um, but I think everyone agrees that in the playoffs, they're going to need a lot more around him uh, and another co-star to really can. Yeah, and I it, like that's a I think a big reason why a lot of people have been you know very vocally disappointed with Tobias Harris and the way he's playing this year. But asking Tobias to be that kind of creator is asking something of him that he's never like that's never been what he is as a player, you know. And like I get that he's is on a max contract and he's right now at least like probably the team's second best player. And like you need more from him than when he you know shoots what was it there a couple of weeks ago where he was like uh three for 12, four for 14 and six for 15 in the first three games of, uh, of that winning streak. And it's like, my God, what are we doing here? So you need more from him than that, but asking him to be more than like a, a play finisher on offense, whether it's somebody creates for him or he creates for himself, I, I think is just asking something that he's not, not that he's not capable of, but that's just not the best use of him. Yeah. And I think if there's one person who really, um, you know, really feels a loss of Ben Simmons, I think it's, it's Tobias Harris. 
you know, I think a lot of, you know, and it's tough because he, he went from a pretty much career year last year to maybe the worst year, at least since he's become a borderline all-star, sub-all-star player. This is probably his worst season. Uh, so having those two in stark contrast, I think, has been tough for a lot of Sixers fans. But I think part of last year, first of all, I think part of last year was just he made shots at a rate he almost never makes. From three, from long two, a lot of his percentages were exceptionally high to the point where you expected a regression. Uh, and this year, that's gone the complete opposite way. I mean, I think he's shooting sub-30% from three right now. Over over his last 20 games, he's averaging 17 points, 42% from the field, and 26% from three. That's just not that's not good enough. So I think part of it is just a, you know, I, I expect some of these shots to start going in. But I think part of it is that I do think he struggles. Um, you know, I think Ben Simmons created a lot of early offense for Tobias. And I think for mm-hmm. Tobias, that was really important for two reasons. First, I think, you know, I think... He needs some time to get his three-point shot off. He's not a super quick trigger guy. And in transition, when the defense is scrambling back, you get some of those opportunities. But also, I think he needs, first of all, mismatches to exploit, and you can get cross matches in transition. But also, I think the defense not being set gave him a chance to get to the rim uh, more than he is right now. I think when the offense is bogged down to a half-court game, he really struggles to get by people. So I think mm-hmm. he's just having less time. Um, I think he's having less you know, advantages. I think he's having less easy shots and you combine that with a little bit of, of shooting regression, which should bounce back up, but it's still there. Uh, and I think it's gotten into his head a little bit. Uh, and I think he's second guessing himself on pretty much everything. And also he's just asked to be way more than he's capable of being. Um, and that's all combined to make a really, really frustrating Tobias Harris season. Yeah. I was going to mention the thing about getting to the rim in the half court because like, he's, he's obviously like, a good athlete. He's in the NBA. There's no players in the NBA that aren't good athletes, but he's not like very sudden. I, don't I would know. say I watch George and Yang every night and I'm not <laughs> sure he's a good athlete. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I take it back, but <laughs> I wouldn't say he's as like heck, but n- not. An athlete. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's like very sudden. So it's like, like you said, he's not really like getting by guys. He wins in the half court more with like power and, short area quickness to let himself get off like you know that one dribble pull up where he can get you know shake free of someone or he sidesteps them from three or things like that and when you don't have the the not necessarily fast break but early offense stuff that he would get with Simmons it's obviously much more difficult to be as efficient as a scorer and I think a lot of that like is the finishing at the rim is down the short mid-range shooting is down and I think that the lack of transition opportunities for him is a pretty, a pretty big reason why, like you said. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we we talk about transition, um, we talk about just something that's scored in like the first six or eight seconds Mm -hmm. when really it's, it's anytime you can get a defense where it's cross matched, where it's out of, um, you know, where it's just not set. Uh, and I think, I think Tobias, obviously everybody, um, everybody benefits from that. I think Tobias probably benefits from that as much as anyone else. Especially because when they get into their half-court offense, so much of it obviously is running through Joel in the post. And, you know, that brings help defenders into the paint. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, you would rather run your offense through Embiid in the post than through Tobias on the drive anyway. Like, Embiid post-ups are one of the most effective plays in the league. But it also, you know, it takes away from what Tobias is, is... is able to do. Um, I want to get a little bit more in depth on Seth Curry because I think that this has been probably his best season. And I think last year had been to that point, probably his best season. What have you seen since he arrived in terms of just the way that he's expanded his game? I mean, I think he and Joel just, you know, I think there was always a little bit of, um, 
those are two skill sets that should play off of each other really well. Mm-hmm. And I think he played well off of Joel last year. Like you said, uh, up until this year, that was probably his career year. But I think he's they've, there's a comfort level that develops in year two. And we saw a little bit of that with J.J. Redick and Joel. That's exactly the comparison I was going to make. Yeah, well, year one was okay. Year one was good. Year two was even better. And they they just formed this sort of chemistry where they knew, you know, because a lot of that is off of dribble handoffs or pick and rolls. And they just knew how to play that game where they could rope the defender where they wanted to go, manipulate them, and get to the shots they want. And Seth Curry is real good off the dribble. I think he's having um, probably the best off the dribble shooting season of his career. One of the, the best in recent NBA history. Um, I think he's well over 50% on long two-point jumpers. Yeah, John Schumann had the stat a couple weeks ago. He's having like the best pull-up two-point shooting season in the history of the player tracking database. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I believe it. Um, he's he's shooting really well, and I think a lot of that is just chemistry building between Joel. You know, I think we focus a lot on Joel Embiid because he's not, he doesn't have a lot of, or at least he doesn't show a lot of sort of like quick burst off the ground, pick and roll lob game type stuff where he's he's rolling to the basket. But I think he has a lot of skill, not just as as, as a popper, um, but also as a screen setter, and then in that sort of like two man dance. And I think he's he's just gotten so much better chemistry with Seth Curry that I think you're seeing a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I think I think Seth is having a real good um, season, uh, certainly a real good offensive season. You know, the other night he was playing point guard and he had I think something like 12 assists, uh, and he looked pretty comfortable doing that. Um, I think he's just found a real comfort zone on his team and with Joel and with the system. The the dribble handoff dance that that he and Joel get into is really fun like when they fake a handoff going one way and then Seth comes around and gets it the other way and he just absolutely levels somebody with the handoff screen it's like I don't know how you're supposed to stop that from being an open shot for you know if a guy who for a guy who if his brother didn't exist we'd be like my god this guy's one of the best shooters I've ever seen and I mean he is one of the best shooters in the league this year and in the last I don't even know how long like and meshing that skill set like you said with mb because of what he's able to do as a screener and especially as a short roller which is an easier pass to make than somebody rolling all the way to the rim and especially for a guy like seth who isn't necessarily a natural ball handler that's an easier pass for him to make too and the chemistry they show on that whether it's just the one action on, on a handoff or just handoff and you know, flip it to the short roll, but they'll go right back into another handoff, or they'll you know fake it, and then Joel can isolate because the whole side is cleared out for him. Just the skill sets, like you said, mesh so perfectly well together. But I've also just been really impressed by what Seth has done off the dribble this year. Not just the the scoring off the dribble and the pull up twos and whatnot, but you know, you mentioned the passing. He had twelve assists the other night. He had nine a few games before that. Seven, six, five, seven, like especially over the last, I'd say, like month or so, as he's taken on more ball handling responsibility. Some of that coincides with Maxi being out, but five and a half assists since December 1st, this is a guy whose career high before this season was like three, you know? So I've been really, really impressed by that. Yeah, no, he's 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 gotten a lot better. And he's, you know, he's obviously been asked that a lot more than he ever has. Uh, he's embraced that, you know, he's, he's got his head up and comes off the screen. He knows where his outlets are and he's doing a pretty good job of, uh, of keeping that in mind. You know, I think his natural inclination is almost always going to be to look for his own shot. And when you can shoot 58% on long pull up jumpers, that's understandable. Uh, but I think he's, he's embraced that role as playmaker and setup man, uh, a lot more this year. Yeah, it's, his first inclination should be to shoot, by the way. Like, right, and he can get that <laughs> shot almost every time. And if, if I have one criticism of, of Seth on the offensive end, 
he turns down way if i could shoot half that well you could never get me to stop shooting uh, oh my he God, turns yes. down threes and and even long twos where um i would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive but yeah i do think uh i, I do think he's been looking for his team absolutely like he needs to hunt his own shot more often like a guy that shoots as well as he does should take more than 12 shots in 35 minutes a game and and definitely more than five threes when he's as good of a deep shooter as he is like i know the offense runs through joel and then through tobias and then obviously maxi has the ball a lot because he's bringing it up and he's the you know the nominal point guard but he needs to get himself and it it does have to be i think getting himself more opportunities he has to hunt them because that will force the defenses to react to that because you know they obviously treat him as a really good shooter but when you're somebody that's really hunting your shot in the way like he's not step so we can't really compare it but in the way that step is always hunting scoring opportunities that warps the defense in such a different way and it's similar to what joel does from the post but having someone who does that from the outside throws defenses into much more chaotic rotations, I would think. Yeah, a hundred percent. And look, he's never going to be his his brother. He doesn't have the the quick release um, mm-hmm. that his brother does. But if he is hunting his shot a little bit more, and look, he again, he's not a, a great plus passer. He's not going to make a whole bunch of skip passes at the corner or bounce passes in traffic. Like that's just not what he is. He's not super creative. But if he's that much more of a shooting threat, then it will open up those you know relatively easy one station passes um, and allow him to be a little bit more effective. And allow his teammates to be a little more effective. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go through Maxi because at, at the beginning of the season, I think it looked like he was like, oh my God, this is, is like a true breakout year. I think it's calmed down a little bit since then. And obviously some of that is he missed, what did he miss? Like six, seven games in the protocols. But what have you thought of year two from him? Um, I've been pretty impressed because it's not like he was crazy effective last year. I think he showed a you know, a, a good skill at getting to the rim. He didn't shoot particularly well from outside the immediate area of the basket, though. So I, I think it's a pretty significant step forward for him this year. What have you thought? Yeah, it's been a, a real significant step forward. And he had that stretch, you know, when Joel Embiid was out of lineup where he was dropping 20, 30 a night. Um, and for a pretty long stretch, we're talking like a seven, eight game stretch where he was yep. averaging in the mid to high 20s. Um, I'm sorry, you can say something? No, I, I was saying, yeah, I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he was he was playing real well, uh, and then Joel came back, and it looked like there was a little bit of a learning curve with the two playing together. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, Joel is much more of a pick and pop, pick and pop big than he is a roll man. I think Maxi benefits a little bit more from a roll man, uh, and I think with the offense running through Joel and Maxi not being a real good um, catch and shoot player or even really a confident catch and shoot player, I think if you know if we talk about um, Curry and Embiid playing so well off of each other and their skills meshing. I think Maxi and Embiid, there was a little bit of a learning curve there. Uh, and one of the real, you know, I, I think, like I said earlier, one of the things you really needed up until the trade deadline while you're waiting for this Ben Simmons trade to materialize is to develop that pairing. And I thought there, right before Maxi went back into protocols, he was starting to show that. Um, he had a couple of really strong games. And then he went out and he missed the last four games and then came back against Charlotte and looked like he, you know, like a player who hadn't played in a week and a half. Um, you know, but I think growing that chemistry, he is so fast and he has such incredible body control. And I think he's done a little bit better job here of late of uh, embracing contact and getting the free throw line. It was one of my real criticisms and concerns with him as a high usage player last year uh, was, was that he just really shied away from contact and, and, and really leaned into his 
you know, into his bag, which is, I mean, he's got a lot of shots. Like he's got the floater. He's got the touch around the rim. I'd like to see him embrace contact a little more. I thought he was doing that at portions throughout the season. Uh, so hopefully he can get back into that. And really, when you look at this team, you know, with a little under a month now to go until the trade deadline, like I said, that partnership between Embiid and Maxi is one of the things you're really, really focusing on. Uh, because I think you, whatever you get back in this Ben Simmons trade, if they even make a trade, it's probably not going to be the person where you just say, no matter what, that person is a star level player, going to make you a contender. Fit has to be really important. And it would be great to see what you have in Maxi. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think one thing that's important to remember is that, or I guess a few things that are important to remember. First, it's his second season. Second, he's only 21. And third, it's really difficult to be a point guard in an offense that does not run through the point guard. Yep. Point guards, basically their whole lives are running the entire offense through them. And this is why, you know, some point guards have struggled to play with LeBron or why some point guards have struggled to play with like other post-up big men on occasion. It takes like a very specific kind of mindset and skill set and being able to develop that, you know, Joel's not a typical player either, you know, like it takes time to get used to figuring out how to play with a guy who is such a hub for the offense and is such a force, but not necessarily in the same way as a lot of other guys right now, especially, especially given like how slowly he moves a lot of the time around the court and how long it takes some things to develop. Some of that is because they can't throw an entry pass in less than like four seconds at any time. I remember I, remember I wrote something about uh, Embiid's post-ups in the playoffs a couple of years ago and how long it took the Sixers to enter him the ball in the post, particularly against the Celtics compared with other teams. It was like almost a half a second longer against the Celtics, which obviously is a long time in the context of a shot clock. But it takes time to learn how to play off of a guy like that. It's not something that happens in he's been the starter for 32 games but joel missed what nine or ten of those and maxi missed a bunch of games that joel was available for what have they played like 25 games together starting yep. this year or something like that like it's not gonna happen like maybe it's gonna happen in that short amount of time but if it doesn't that's not necessarily a reason for too much concern i don't think oh no long term my concern level is pretty low um, you know, there's some things with Maxi, most, mostly his size defensively, uh, pairing him with a backcourt mate. I think you have to, um, you know, you have to really be selective on who you target, but long-term, like the way Maxi has progressed here this year, going from, you know, like a 30% three point shooter, to 30, 38% or so. And is there some noise there? Yeah, probably. But I think he's also improved. Uh, I think it can be also a little bit noisy and also an indication of improvement. Uh, the way he's, he's just gotten so much better. Like I said, drawing fouls um knowing when he, he for a 21 year old he really doesn't make mistakes whether that's turnovers or bad shots there just aren't a lot of young guard mistakes that you see in his game and you combine that with his speed with his rate of improvement on his jumper especially off the dribble uh, i think his off the dribble jumper has gotten significantly better it's hard to really say what his upside is because i think he's just improved more than i would have expected when i when i talk about the fit with joel i'm really talking about like when you're talking about building a contending team, either for the stretch run this year or for next year, um, that's when I start saying like, it would be great to see what those two can develop into. I'm more talking short-term than long-term. Yeah, absolutely. I think with the jumper off the dribble, one thing I've noticed is he seems to be like leaning forward as he's shooting less often this year, which I thought was something of an issue. Like he was leaning, not like you don't want to be leaning backward, obviously either. You want to be 
you know, facing the net and jumping toward the net, but more straight up and down where he was like pushing his body forward last year was something that I thought on it. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what it looked like at times last year. Um, all right. We've waited long enough. We do have to talk about Ben Simmons a little bit. Um, but like the thing we keep hearing about Maury is that he wants a star and two names come up obviously more often than most Dame Lillard and Bradley Beal. Damian Lillard is now out for at least six to eight weeks and doesn't seem to either want to be traded or on the doesn't seem to be on the trade market in the first place. Bradley Beal has talked about how he doesn't really want to be traded either and doesn't seem to be on the trade market either. But I'm less interested in like which specific star they want than like what kind of player are they looking for? Like you need to have more than we need to get this level of player in mind. Like you still have to build a team around Joel and whatever they get in this Simmons trade. So do you have any indications on what type of player they're looking for? I mean, is it just a guard, a star guard? It's a good question. I would guess, and this is just a guess because even if Daryl came up and told me, I wouldn't believe him because why would you believe a GM at this time of year? (laughs) Um, If I had to guess, I think a lot of it is upside. And look, a lot of the skill sets that would fit well with Joel are players that are skill sets that pretty much everyone in the NBA needs. Um, I think it would be get the best perimeter creator you can get and almost regardless of position will fit the rest of the pieces around it. Uh, I would guess it's something a little more along that line. And also then you have to factor in, well, defensively, can they can that pair with, um, you know, with Tyrese Maxey, who you figure will have a role, whether it's as a starter or off the bench. Um, you do start to worry a little bit of that. Um, but I think more than like position or, or anything like that, I think just get the best perimeter creator you can. Obviously, he has to be able to shoot um, playing alongside Joel. And then you worry about whether or not the two can fit with, uh, with, with Tyrese a little bit as well. But no, I don't, I don't necessarily know if he's targeting a specific um, you know, like guard or anything like that or star point guard. or anything. I think it's probably just more like they need somebody who has a high-level skill set creating off the dribble um, to pair alongside Joel. I think, I think it is probably a lot upside related. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's most interesting for me from like a tactical standpoint, if is if they get like a really pick and roll heavy point guard in the trade, like how does that change what they're doing offensively? Because yeah. Simmons obviously did not run a ton of pick and roll because everybody just goes 10 feet under any yeah. screen that gets set for him. They don't run like a metric ton of Tobias Embiid pick and rolls and a lot of it is joel post-ups or joel dribble handoffs or things like that so i would just be really interested to see what their offense would look like if they all of a sudden had a guard who his you know who commanded more usage than a guy like maxi does and his strength was running pick and rolls it would be like a really fundamental change for them and i i think it might help like it would certainly relieve joel of a lot of the burden that he faces having to back his way in 37 times a night and the entire defense being focused on him while he has his back to the basket it's just tougher to operate that way but it also does take the ball out of his hands on occasion when you can run really efficient offense through him with the ball in his hands so how they would strike that balance is something that would be really interesting to me but we, don't, we obviously don't know if they're looking for that kind of player, but we also don't know if they're looking for like a, you know, Jamal Murray style point guard where, you know, Embiid's still going to run the offense, but then like, are you forcing Embiid to be Jokic and like 
be the primary passer, that's not necessarily ideal either. So this is why, like, I'm way more interested in what type of players they're looking for than, like, you know, what quality or what specific players or things like that. But it's obviously something that I don't think we're going to get an answer to for, you know, about, what is it, like 26, 27 days, something like that. I mean, I'm I'm worried we're not going to get an answer until June or July, uh, which, Another couple months of talking about this would really just make my day. Really? So you're? No, no I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah, I think it's a possibility that they don't make a trade yet. Wow. I mean, I guess I've thought about the possibility too, but it has sort of seemed like, all right, we can get a resolution to this at some point. Like, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. But I mean, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about is this uh, this Knicks Hawks trade from this morning, where the Hawks sent Cam Reddish to. New York, they acquired a very heavily protected first-round pick uh, from the Hornets in that trade, which gives themselves technically another asset. And they crucially cleared a roster spot in the trade because they sent out Solomon Hill in the deal also and only took back Kevin Knox. So it was two players for one player. I think there was pretty immediately a thought that, like, oh, maybe Atlanta is setting themselves up to be a Simmons suitor with, you know, they can throw in another pick from this Charlotte deal. I mean, whether it's like John Collins or whoever else, like, is that something that you think is on the table? Is that possible? Or is like John, John, like John Collins seems kind of like the opposite of what we're talking about with a guard and somebody who can create for himself and others. Like it's, I kind of like the fit with Embiid up front. It makes Tobias somewhat ill-fitting. But then there was the report from the other day that they're trying to attach Tobias to uh, a Simmons deal. Yeah. So I don't really know what to think there. Well, I mean, and I agree with you. I don't think John Collins is the archetype of what they are looking for, what they should be looking for. Uh, if John Collins was your, you know, if you had that all-star or better caliber perimeter creator, and then you pair John Collins alongside of Joel Embiid, then you might be interested in, in that. But yeah, I, I don't think he's necessarily the target. And also I agree with you. Like Tobias Harris, I think would be an ill-fitting um, running mate with John Collins and Joel Embiid, so I don't think that I don't think they necessarily make a whole lot of sense as a a suitor, you know. And and look, you can talk about bundling Tobias Harris. Um, good luck with that. Uh, Who's matching like sixty million dollars in salary? I mean, uh, where yeah. does that come from? I mean, um, I understand the desire if they don't think he's worth the contract anymore, or they want to more dramatically change the team. But I don't see how you can deal those guys in the same package unless you're like going to the Lakers and getting. Westbrook and like six other guys and that doesn't seem to be too attractive either for sure yeah no I I 100% agree Um, I don't necessarily consider the Hawks to be a legitimate like I said I I don't think they're a a natural suitor Um, so do I think that no I think they're probably just moving Reddish because they didn't believe in Reddish anymore Um, and they wanted a little more flexibility uh, and I think that that gives him that Um, but no I don't think it's necessarily something that they have an eye towards a Sixers deal although I, I think they would be interested in it I just don't see the match from Philly's side now, look, we can start getting into three and four team deals, which um, you know, I think there's a really good chance that when this does come to fruition, whenever that is, it's probably going to be a three or four team deal. And Atlanta could be involved in that regard, but as a sort of like one to one match, I don't see it. Oh yeah, I mean, I would be pretty shocked if it wasn't a three or four team deal. Like these yeah. type of things where you're trading that kind of player, they almost always are. Like Harden went to Brooklyn, but it was like a four or five team deal, whether whatever the heck it was, eventually in the end. Um, uh, four teams, Rockets, Cavs, Spacers, and Nets. Yeah. Uh, Russell in the chat mentioned uh, De'Aaron Fox. I'm, I'm interested in what you think of that pairing because it's 
it would be interesting with Maxi. They're like pretty similar players in terms of the speed and like shaky-ish shooting. We don't know whether to believe in Maxi's shooting yet. Fox had that one year where he shot really well from three and then really hasn't since then. And he struggled with free throw shooting on occasion too. But the speed they would have in the backcourt would be pretty incredible. But they would also be really, really small. And it would be tough to know like how you're running your offense with both of those guys and Embiid and Tobias. Yeah, no, the, the combination of um, unreliable shooting, defensive struggles, uh, and, and the fact that you might not be able to get the best of both Fox and Maxi on the court at the same time, I would be pretty surprised if he is a centerpiece of a Ben Simmons trade. Um, I think Halliburton is a much more intriguing fit. I also think that Sacramento would probably be a little bit less willing to uh, include Halliburton in a Ben Simmons trade, uh, but I can't say I know that for sure. It just seems fit-wise, Halliburton and Simmons would be a more intriguing combination than Halliburton and Fox. Um, but in terms of De'Aaron Fox, I don't expect Six to have a whole lot of interest. Yeah, I mean, Halliburton would be... Halliburton is just a, a player who's really easy to fit with basically anybody because he can play on and off the ball. He can shoot. He can run, pick, and roll. He can defend probably two or three positions. Like He's not doing it at an ex- like extraordinarily high level sure, sure. yet but he's doing it at a pretty high level and he's not even being trusted to do that much. Like his usage, I think is still under 20%, which is like below the league average. And he's already really, really productive and like clearly is ready for more responsibility. If somebody could or would give it to him, like the turnovers are a little much, but when you're a young guard, that is something that tends to happen. Um, one of the last things that I was interested in with this team in particular is what have you thought of Doc tactically as a coach? One of my things with Doc going back to the Celtics days is, you know, I understand it as, you know, a leader of men type and someone who can manage personalities. But when they got rid of Brett Brown, a large part of the reason was like the offense would bog down into nothingness in the playoffs And like, you know, certain, like the stars were like too empowered to do whatever they wanted at times. That's like what Doc Rivers' weaknesses as a coach are too. So I'm I'm curious what you've thought of him tactically on on offense and then on defense too. Yeah, um, you know, defensively, I don't think they're ever going to be a super experimental team just because you have a a big in Joel who's so much better as a drop big um, than asking him to extend himself too much. I do think they've been a little more aggressive defensively out on the perimeter, but not crazy so which again you wouldn't expect when you have an elite rim protector um you know offensively i'd like to, honestly i'd like to see him trust tyrese maxi a little bit more i think tyrese maxi is the second most talented offensive player on his team uh, i think they put him off ball a little bit too much even when you're not talking about um joel Embiid post-ups but just i would like to see maxi's usage and his role and his pick and roll play and the opportunities he has increased a little bit more uh, when he's sharing the court with Embiid and Curry and, and Harris and, and the other starters. Um, you know, but I think more or less their base schemes are generally okay. Um, I think what you're running is, is is you know, you are sort of limited by the fact that you have like one and a half people who can dribble and your main offense is post up big. And some nights they don't even have those one and a half people. Um, you know, I think Doc is a fine-ish coach. Um, you know, I think if I focus on team and its identity i think i focus a lot more on the players um but i don't think he's necessarily fixing it either um he's been yeah that's where i was gonna go like i don't know that there's much added value with the offense that they're running 
And I, I agree. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point where like, I think there's a lot of scapegoating there towards the end where you had a very flawed roster made by a half decade of mistakes. And I think a lot of people, especially fans, but also in the media, in the market, thought that just changing the coach was going to change the team's identity and all of a sudden bring accountability and, and, and change those late game meltdowns. And it's like, well, when you don't have anyone who can create from the perimeter and your only offense is a, a, a post-up big who can be turnover prone at times, like there is a functional limit to how much you can execute late in games. Uh, and I think a lot of people overlook the team's core fundamental flaws and we're hoping that the coach would be a quick fix. And I think Doc's sort of proven that it's not a, a quick fix. And, and look, I think what he did in the playoffs against Atlanta, I thought he did a, a, a real poor job in that Hawks series. Uh, I thought he did a real poor job in adjusting defensively. Um, I still have um, it burned in the back of my mind of Seth Curry getting picked on time and time again um, down the stretch of Game 7 there against the Hawks. Um, but I do think most of the problems of the team are related to personnel. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I think Seth has gotten a little bit better on defense this year, but watching him get roasted down the stretch of that series was pretty uncomfortable. Um, I, I do want to run this theory that I had by you, which is I floated it last year where none of this would be happening with Ben Simmons if Mark Helfoltz didn't forget how to shoot. And I know that's like not something that necessarily comes up all that often anymore with the Sixers, but like that was the fix for these issues with Simmons and whether or not he can have the ball in his hands and how you're going to have someone to create for themselves and others in the half court or like anybody that can make a pull-up jumper. That was supposed to be the thing that made it all click into place. And like pretty much everyone, basically everyone but Danny Age agreed that Fultz was the best player in that draft and the should-be number one pick. And it just kind of didn't work out for reasons that are kind of out of the Sixers' control, I would th- like, at least in some respects. Yeah, um, and, and you're right. It's not talked about much, I think, because we all have PTSD from that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I still do. <laughs> I'm not even a Sixers fan. But yeah, they, they 100% drafted Markel with the intention of we need we need this elite pick-and-roll creator, this guy to come off of a screen, attack downhill, and suck in the defense and create open shots. Um, I think that the organization at the time understood that Ben had this weakness in the half court, that they needed somebody else with that skill set. You know, I think when it became clear that Markel Fultz wasn't working out, they then went out and and, and tried to target that skill set again when they got Jimmy Butler, uh, and then they completely went away from it um, to the point where it was almost comical how few other ball handlers they had around Simmons. Um, I think it would have been interesting to see whether or not Ben Simmons at that stage of his career was okay seeing that much ball handling responsibility to Markel Fultz, if he was okay understanding his own limitations and where he needed to be positioned. He wasn't 100% comfortable being stuck in a dunker spot there um, in the 2019 playoffs to allow Jimmy Butler to operate. Uh, I don't know if he would have been okay with somebody who was less established doing that as well, but I agree with you conceptually. They needed Markel Fultz to work. They needed Markel Fultz's skill set, and they've been trying to recover from that ever since. Yeah, and I, I think that would have let Simmons play a little bit more of the like supersized Draymond role that people always mention for him. So he wouldn't have necessarily been as uninvolved as he was when they got Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, and he's sort of standing in the dunker spot. Like he would still be involved in primary action, and you could use his best skill as a creator in like four on three situations. You're like replicating a fast break, but in the half court without him having to be the one that actually pierces the defense on his own, which is obviously difficult for him because everybody lays way off them on the perimeter. Yeah. Like everything was supposed to click in from that point. And it's, it's a cascading effect from there. Like you said, and like, I know it's kind of, you know, 
not talked about anymore. And for, I think for pretty obvious reasons, like it's traumatic to bring up. It's a while ago now, and they've had plenty of chances to try to find some other way to figure that out. But to me, it all does really stem from that initial thing. And it's, it kind of sucks. Like I was really excited to see what that would have looked like. I remember I wrote about Simmons during um, the season where it was Fultz's first season. And I was like, part of what I wrote was all of these limitations aren't going to matter soon because Fultz is going to come back and this is what's going to happen to click everything into place. And then that just kind of didn't happen. It's just like, it's one of the crazier things that I can think of, like, obviously, everything else that happened surrounding it, but it was pretty wild, man. Oh, it was wild. You're not going to get any argument from me on that one. I live that one. I live that one. Um, Before I let you go, does anybody have in the chat any questions for me or for Derek on the Sixers before before we get out of here? You can either send in uh, a question in the chat or you can send in a speaker request otherwise uh we have gone through all of my questions for derek in about 10 minutes less than the runtime that we had available um no speaker requests as of yet no questions in the chat so i will say thank you derek really appreciate you doing this why don't you let people know where they can find you find your work and stuff like that yeah no it was was, was my pleasure i enjoyed it um on Twitter, I am at Derek Bodner NBA. Uh, my newsletter is dailysix.com. Um, six spelled out S I X. And it's uh, Derek D E R E K, by the way, not R R I C K or any of that nonsense. Correct. Uh, it is the, the easiest way you could uh, could think to spell it. Uh, it is the right way to spell it. Uh, and in my mind, the only way to spell it. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on people who spell Jared J A R O D or J A R E T <laughs> or like. Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Like, I got a lot of thoughts on those people and how wrong they are and how they should think about what they've done with their lives to this point. I'm, I'm just glad that my parents had a clue. Oh, yeah. And then there are the people who, like, add an R or an L to my last name and call me Durbin or Dublin. Um, <laughs> I understand if you're, like, Dubbin instead of Dubin, but adding and uh, adding letters, it's uh, it's pretty strange to me. Anyway, I'll let you go. Thank you again for doing this, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, read the Daily Six newsletter, uh, dailysix.com. You can sign up there, get some emails. There's there's a, uh, a once a week free version for people who want to test it out too, right? Yes. Yep. Every yes. Monday is a free one. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Thank you. Have a good night. Nope. Thank you. You too.